there's these global considerations and concerns that are happening. I know you, along with me, have been following uh, the war that has uh, that has been going on in Russia and you, or in Ukraine by Russia, uh, and it is we, we want to take a moment here in this space to acknowledge that that is happening, uh, that it's very serious and significant. Uh, it's a it's a uh, really, I mean, I know this word has been used a lot in reference to a number of different things over the past couple of years, but this is an unprecedented moment in my lifetime and I think in your lifetime as well. And so uh, it's appropriate for us to bring these matters to God. And I don't know about you, but in my own prayer life, I have often lacked the right words uh, and, and stumbled through how to pray well uh, for what is happening uh, in Ukraine right now. Actually, we had a mission team that was slated uh, to go to Ukraine in May, and they're going to pivot and go to Peru. Um, but that is a story of some of our students that was intertwined or was going to be intertwined with uh, that country. And uh, some of others of you may have different connections or stories uh, related to either Ukraine or Russia. Um, and so we wanted to take a moment here to do that. So I'm going to give us just a moment of silent prayer. Uh, to We're going to be silent and invite you in the midst of that time uh, to be praying and wrestling with God uh, in, a, in any variety of ways as you're so led. Uh, and then I will close this time of silent prayer by praying Psalm 2 uh, as uh, we can pray God's words back to him. And so I'll pray Psalm 2. So let's take a moment of silent prayer for this war that is happening uh, overseas in Ukraine. Father in heaven, we pray your words back to you. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against you and against your anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But you, you who sit in the heavens, laughs. You, the Lord, holds them in derision. Then you will speak to them in your wrath and terrify them in your fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And all of God's people said together, amen. Well, in a moment, uh, Stephanie is going to come and continue our teaching series, The Good Life. Uh, we've been navigating that the past six or seven weeks uh, throughout the course of this semester, answering, seeking to answer the question, everybody wants to live a good life, but not everybody does. And what's up with that? How might we, what might be the better way to uh, walk on the pathway towards the good life? problem with how we see courage is many times we don't want to walk in it because we don't have parkour strength. We don't have this ideology that movies give to us. We don't have the look. Sometimes these movies confuse us when it comes to the idea of courage. Courage, courage does not look like waiting to have the strength, waiting to have the voice. That is not 
That's not courage. And, and the problem with this is sometimes after we're done with our large popcorn and our soda and our candy, we walk out of the movie theaters feeling so powerless because we say that can only happen in movies. This can never happen in real life. But that's, that's not courage. And if we can't be what we just, we just saw in the movies, if we can't be this version of courage, then what we become is a bystander. And bystanders cause way more harm than good. We start getting stuck on the idea of, what if I was better? If only I was stronger, if only I was better spoken. And all these things stop us from becoming courageous people. We get stuck on what the idea of what it looks like to look like a Marvel character. We get stuck there. But that's not courage. We become bystanders. And this is what the U.S. Department of Justice says about the bystander effect. The bystander effect describes situations in which a group of bystanders and witnesses or witness harm being done, yet do nothing to help or stop the harmful activity. They also say if witnesses to an incident are in a group, they assume others will take action. The more witnesses there are, the less likely it is that anyone will act. Individual responsibility becomes group responsibility. Do you want to know the amount of people that actually enact courage in our day and age? Only 31%. While everyone else is a bystander. Only 31%. That's a small number of people that enact courage. While everyone else is a bystander. But that small number can save so many lives. In 2015, there was a terrorist attack on a European train traveling from uh, Amsterdam to Paris. And uh, the man that was on the train was going to kill everyone that was on this train. And yet three young men from California subdued this man. Two of them were in the army. One of them was a U.S. airman and the other was a National Guardsman. And the other was just a friend. And during an interview, one of the men shared that the courage they showcased to stop this man from killing everyone else that was on that train wasn't accidental, but rather the result of habits ingrained by military training. He said, in the beginning, it was mostly gut instinct, survival. Our training kicked in after the struggle. So how do we become, how do we change from bystanders to people that enact Courage. How do we exercise courage? If we're followers of Jesus, how does this practically look like in our own lives? Well, first of all, I kind of want to explain the root word of courage. And I love, again, what Porsche kind of touched on. The root word has to do with heart. Porsche's mom had a heart for her people, for her son, for her family. The root word of courage means heart. And to be encouraged is to be heartened or to be made stronger. Therefore, whatever you love or wherever your heart is will be a motivator for you. And if that's the case, whatever you love 
will be what you lay your down your life down for. Whatever you love will be what you lay your life down for. In the movies, we see superheroes and villains laying down their life for what is good or for what is evil. And in the life of a believer or follower of Christ, then if you love God, like we talked about last week, if God is your primary love, then he will allow, align those values within your own heart and you will be able to lay down your life for what is good. But beware of what you love because you will end up laying down your life for it. For example, the terrorist. The terrorist was prepared to lay down his life for a cause, for an ideology. And the consequence was going to be the people he was going to kill. But the men were prepared to lay down their lives for the people that were on that train. Think about the things that you're passionate for. Think about the things you love, because those things are the things you will end up giving up your life for. And that could take a form of many things. It could be sports. It could be other people. It could be beliefs, material things, money, so many other things. Beware of what is your primary love. So how do we exercise courage? Like the guardsman said, and is emphasized by Karen Swallow Pryor, the author that we're doing our series on, the person who is virtuously courageous displays not a, merely a single act of courage, but the habit of courage. It's not just one act. It's several actions. So, the courage, so courage is the habit that enables a person to face difficulties well. And Aristotle states the following. So the courageous person is the one who endures and fears and likewise is confident about the right things for the right reason in the right way and at the right time. For the courageous person feels and acts in accordance with the merits of the case and as reason requires. So let me break that down a little bit more for you. When you love the right things, a time or times will come in which you will have to endure to hold on to good or hold on to what you love in the face of fear. When you have your heart in the right spot, a time or times will come when you will have to make sure that that thing that you love, that good that you hold on to, perseveres, and you will face fear. So the story I'm going to talk about today is one of Esther. Uh, it's Women's History Month, so I thought it was fitting to talk about a woman in the Bible who practices courage um, by setting her heart in the right spot, and when it was the right time, was able to endure in the face of fear and face obstacles to stand up for the right thing. So Esther, a little bit about Esther, Esther was a Jewish woman who had been orphaned at a young age. She was raised by her cousin Mordecai, who loved Esther as his own daughter. Um, and it was because of Mordecai's encouragement that Esther then becomes the queen to King Xerxes. And this is where our story of courage begins. Uh, while after Esther was appointed queen, Esther 3, 1 and 2 shares that King Xerxes appoints this man named Haman um, the highest honor a noble could achieve. Um, and every official would then have to kneel before Haman except for Mordecai. So, so Haman here is this incredible noble that was selected, 
And because he was a, a nobleman that was given this incredible honor, everyone had to kneel before him. But Mordecai, uh, Esther's father figure, refused to do so. And because he refused to do so, because he only honored God and because he would only bow down to God, this is what happens. Esther 3, 5 to 10 says, When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, the purr, that is the lot, was cast in the presence of Haman to select a day and a month, and the lot fell on the twelfth month, the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrator for the royal treasury. So the king took his signet from his finger, and whenever the king took his signet, then he would kind of mark down a law and kind of say, okay, this is the law, this can't be changed. And he gave it to Haman and said to uh, Haman, the son of Hamaditha, the Agagite, enemy of the Jews, keep the money and do with the people as you please. So a couple of things here. Haman, the nobleman, and his pride felt so belittled that Mordecai would refuse to honor him. So he seeks not only to destroy Mordecai, he seeks to destroy Mordecai's people. And who does that sound like to you? Satan. Because there's a real evil in this world. And Satan will do anything he can to make you bow down to anything but God. And that anything could be anything. It could be a person. It could be a thing. It could be a belief. So back to Haman. So he orders the death of the Jews, and the king agrees to it. And what the king and what Haman did not know was that Esther, the queen, was a Jew. Well, Esther had heard through the grapevine that Mordecai was not doing well because she had not heard the news that the Jews were going to be killed. So she sent out a messenger out to Mordecai to ask him what was going on. And so through the messenger, Mordecai then tells Esther in Esther 4.8, instruct her into the king's press, and, sorry, instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Esther 4.9 states, Hathak, the messenger, went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends his gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But... Thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Basically, Esther is telling Mordecai through the messenger, you're telling me to go ask and plead for our lives, but I can't do that because if I do that, you see, I'll lose my life. My life is on the line here, and I can only go before the king if he calls me, and he hasn't called me for 30 days. 
And actually, it's because the last queen had been called and did not come that she was banned from being queen. So we, here we have Esther with this real fear, realizing that if she goes, that this could be worse for her, that she could just lose her life. And that was huge. I don't know if you caught that, but there's something else happening here. And that other thing is fear. Esther was feeling fear approaching the king to help defend her people. And how many times has that happened to you? That you fear doing the right thing because of what it was going to cost you. Fear sometimes makes us second guess whether we should do the right thing or not. But you're not the only one who's experienced that. So let's, let's continue reading. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai is telling Esther that she cannot let fear take the best of her during this time, because if she doesn't, then her and her people will perish. But I also love that he tells her, if you remain silent, if you choose to do nothing about it, God will send deliverance. God will not keep quiet. But he also tells her, what if God chose you to be in this situation, to be in this position for a reason? What if God put you in this position of leadership to stand up for your people? And this is where the second part of courage comes in. If your heart is in the right place, then at the right time, you will be given the opportunity to act on others' behalf. I wanted to take a moment real quick. And I want you to think about where has God placed you? What position has God placed you in leadership? What people has God placed around you? Where has God placed you that maybe you need to look around and see, gosh, I do have to do something about this. Because God has not placed you somewhere without a purpose. There is a purpose tied to that. And where and who has God placed around you to defend and stand up for? Is it people that are constantly looked down upon? Is it a position to defend your faith? Is it about societal justice issues that you need to do something about? Where has God placed you. And let me tell you, if you choose to remain silent, if you choose to do nothing about the things happening around you, that's okay. You know why? Because God will always rise up other people, the 31% to do it. But I want you to think about that. You be the 31%. So where has God placed you? Choose not to wait for someone else to come rescue you. Choose not to wait for someone else to do the rescuing. Choose not to be a bystander. Do it yourself. We are given the opportunities to enact courage. I know many times their stories don't start off courageous. I mean, look at Esther. She was orphaned at a young age, and Mordecai had to help her into this position of leadership she was in. But when she got there, 
she knew what she was facing. She knew she was facing fear. Let's go back to the story of the men on the train. There was one that was an airman, one that was in the National Guard, and the third one, the third one had absolutely no military training at all. And yet, when the time came, he saw his friend enact courage, and he was able to do so himself. If you're facing fear in the time of courage, that's okay. Because when you love the right things, a time or times will come when you will have to endure and hold on to good for what you love in the face of fear. Karen Swallow Pryor states in her book, no risk means no difficulty. And no difficulty means no courage because an act for, for an act to be truly courageous, it must entail a known risk or potential loss. You must be willing to risk everything for a noble cause. And that's exactly what we see in Esther. So I'm going to fast forward here a little bit. When Esther um, realizes that she could lose her life, and she faces fear, she tells Mordecai, I can't do this, she finally says, you know what, you're right. So fast for me. Tell all of your people to pray and fast for me, and I'll do the same. And when the time comes, I will go and tell the king to defend our people. Long story short, God blesses Esther, and Esther is able to approach the king. The king is able to, you know, he extends his scepter and forgives Esther and actually saves her people. But that was only because she recognized that there was a time for her to do something about saving her people. She was given this opportunity to do something with it. Guys, exercising courage is a very hard thing. And sometimes it, it won't look like all glory. It won't look like all fame. And actually, it could probably look super unpopular. I'm thinking of the women who stood up for civil rights, for women's rights back in the early 19s, 1900s. I'm thinking of people who advocated for civil rights um, when segregation and Jim Crow were prevalent. I'm thinking of various Christians in countries that have to defend their faith who were killed on a consistent basis. I'm thinking of the students who risk sharing their stories up here with us for Hispanic Heritage Month, for Black History Month, and Porsche. I'm thinking of Esther, who loved her people so much to recognize she could die if she stood up for them. And I'm thinking of Jesus, who knew he would die because he loved and was able to exercise courage to endure the taunting, to endure the mob and the torture, to give us freedom healing, and salvation. I want you to note that none of them had weapons. None of them had fancy armor. But all they had was so much love for a cause and a people they wanted to experience freedom from. That is courage. You don't need a mob. You don't need a sword. You don't need special physical traits. You don't need to know how to do parkour. Parkour. All you need to do is have your heart in the right place. Because at the right time, you will be presented with an opportunity in which you'll be asked to endure fear to stand up for something in which you risk losing your life, your reputation, your status to serve a noble and a much greater purpose and cause. Esther did it. Jesus did it. And I know you can too. Guys, there's so much going on in our world right now. And now is not the time to not enact courage. 
Now is not the time to let someone else do it. We are called to do that. And we can. Because Jesus will give us the strength to do it, but we can't let someone else do it. Thank you so much for hearing that, and I want you guys to just kind of be meditating on that. And I challenge you to think about where has God placed you? Where has God placed you where you need to be doing more, where you need to be doing more than just bystander work? Pray with me. God, God, we live in a world, Father, that is so broken. We live in a world where things are constantly, constantly unjust, and there's oppression, and there's hardship. So, God, we run to you and we ask for courage. We ask that we may hold on to you in moments when we don't want to hold on to good anymore, that we may hold on to you when we don't want to remember that what you've done was enact courage first. Remind us, Father, that we can do it, that we're not alone, and that we need each other for that. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that you've said in our hearts, and challenge it. Challenge our hearts to do something with what we learned today. Thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.